So this morning, in these moments we've got left, I just wanted to um, share with you something that's been stirring with me. Um, I'm, um, I don't really like going around to churches preaching nice sermons. And um, what I mean by that is, when I visit a church, and this morning, several churches that are gathered here, I just really ask the Lord, can, we, can you please get something that will stir us and stretch us? and stir our faith to believe God for great things that he wants to do amongst us. And when I say I don't like going around, I do like preaching nice sermons, but, but the reality is, if that's all that I did, and just try to keep you happy and me happy, then it wouldn't really be very productive. And so what I love to do when I come to places like this is, is just push, push you a little bit in your faith, stretch you a little bit in your faith. Um, I, I believe we're meant to stir one another, provoke one another as churches, particularly in areas where maybe we're not seeing uh, things happen that we know when we read the word of God they should happen or we hear that it's happening in other places. Um, we love to call ourselves the word spirit church and what we mean by that is we, we passionately love the word of God and we equally passionately love to give room for the Holy Spirit to work in us. It's a kind of summary of of, of what you would describe King's Church as, if you like. My, my understanding as I travel around to many churches in the UK and particularly across Europe is churches are doing quite well actually when it comes to understanding what they believe and rooting themselves in the word of God, which is wonderful. And we love to be open to the Holy Spirit as we've done this morning. I mean, this, this was not choreographed what we did this morning. We were open to the Spirit. We don't know what's going to happen. It's wonderful to be in that position. But I just feel, I sense more and more that we do need to press in to the activity of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the whole realm of not only proclaiming the gospel, which we must do, sounds like you're going to do a lot of it over Christmas, proclaiming the gospel, but also demonstrating the gospel with authentic power. And I use that phrase authentic power deliberately because... Um, I'm not talking about something flaky or weird. I'm talking about the actual manifestation of the presence of Jesus, that you believe Jesus is alive. Therefore, the things that he did when he was on earth, he still wants to do today amongst us. And so, and so my, my plea is I'm going to provoke us a little bit and push us into an area and ask some questions. And, and this is for... For Edinburgh and for West Lothian and Glasgow as churches to go away from here and to press in to what these things are. I've entitled this word this morning, Where Are the Signs and Wonders? And I do believe that one of the great challenges that we face in 21st century church in secular Europe is how do we proclaim the gospel, which we surely must do, and how do we get to demonstrate the gospel with power? You know, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating through that kingdom through signs and wonders. Isaiah 61 was the passage of scripture that was handed to Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open blind eyes. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, which is very radical. That had been a passage of scripture being read many, many times, basically saying, and all this scripture that you've read for centuries 
It's now fulfilled in me. And that didn't go down too well. I mean, I'm trying to stretch you this morning. That was really stretching people on that particular occasion. The reality is this, that we need to be a people understand that from that very moment, the things that Jesus read of himself is exactly what he did. From that moment on, he preached good news to the poor and he healed the brokenhearted. I mean, miracles started to happen. Signs and wonders followed him wherever he went. Let me give you an example of this. In your Bibles, you might like to turn to it. It might come up on the screen. But Mark chapter 1, I just used this as an illustration. It's kind of like on every page of the Gospels. And, uh, and in Mark chapter 1 and verse 29, And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Every time I read that I think, that must have been a very big door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Which is interesting because Jesus had not yet come to the place where he was ready. They weren't going to control him. He was going to control them. Which is why he says, keep quiet. Healings, deliverance happening every time when Jesus is ministering to people. And it's important for us to understand that these healings and these deliverances were not an end in themselves. That the reason people were set free and the reason that people were healed physically was so that these were signs that pointed to something. The healings and deliverances were to point people to the fact this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah whom people have been waiting to see. This is, the, this is the whole point of, of any miracle and any signs and wonders. If you want to be in signs and wonders for your sake and for your ministry, please don't go there. Because the whole purpose of this is to point away from us to Jesus. So if you pray for someone and they are healed, it's all about Jesus. You and I don't get to heal anybody. The only one that heals is Jesus. And so we will pray for people in his name pointing to him and our desire for people who get touched by Jesus is that they might come to know Jesus. That is the whole purpose. That's why he demonstrated the kingdom of God. The signs and wonders were confirmations of the authenticity that he is the son of God who's come to change the world, to give life to the world. It's pointing to the authenticity of who Jesus is. Now here's the deal as the Gospels go on, he then gives authority to his disciples to do the same. He actually imparts to them the authority that you can go. We, did, we haven't got time this morning, but there's many uh, passages in the Gospels where he gave them authority to go and proclaim the kingdom, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to do the same things that he was doing. The expectation is this that followers of Jesus will do the same things that Jesus has done and does today. That is talking about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, his will is that you do the same things that he does. Now, I'm provoking this. So I'm not sure that many of us are. I'm not sure that I am. And so I find these passages of Scripture, and these, that they really do come to me in a way that kind of stirs me. 
And then, of course, uh, we read in the beginning of Acts that the early church bursts onto the scene and after the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the ascension of Jesus on high, on the day of Pentecost, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon the first people who are the church. And the same anointing from Isaiah 61 that is upon Jesus when he goes out to perform his ministry is now poured out upon all flesh. Say all flesh. That means all flesh. And it means it in the Greek and the Hebrew and every other word you can find out and Glaswegian and everything. It's all there. It just means what it says. All flesh, which means all people, however young, old, background, colour, whatever it might be. The same spirit as on Jesus is now upon you, upon the church, upon his people. Guess what? We're able to say now we can preach good news to the poor. And we can heal the brokenhearted. We can set the captives free. Because there's this, this line, this legacy that Jesus leaves. He said to his disciples, far better for me to go to be with the Father. And they all said, nothing could be better. Don't leave us. This is why it was better. That you might have the same anointing upon you that I had upon me. And so we turn to the Acts. We turn to Acts and we find this story. Please follow me. Just keep with me because it gets practical in the end. So Jesus ministers, his followers are then given authority to do it and then the church bursts onto the scene anointed by the Spirit of God. So we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Then you turn over the page and you get into chapter 3 and it's the story of Peter and John who passed by the beautiful gate on the way to the temple and they passed by the same people who were, who were asking for money and on this occasion in verse 6 Peter said to this guy who's asking for them for money I have no silver and gold but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and raised him up And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. It just caught their attention. This is a, what is this? Who did this? It's kind of like, this is impossible. We know this man. A miracle has happened. And at that moment, everything they're preaching, the authenticity of what they're saying is now being supported by miracles. And I'm asking the question today, in 21st century Scotland, where are the signs and wonders? Because I can find no evidence in Scripture that says anywhere that this is now finished that it was only for the first century, it was only for the early church. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, then what has changed? And so we go on reading in Acts. Let's try this one out for size. I love this, Acts 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes. That's a lot of people. 
multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted and unclean spirits, uh, with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then there's a time of persecution, there's a time of scattering, and guess what? The worst thing you can do for the church is to ever persecute it. Because every time you persecute the church, it just means more miracles and more growth. Leave it alone, it'll die. Persecute it, and it will just come to life. And that's happening in nations all over the world right now. So we come to chapter 8 and verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Look at this. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Do you know the goal of planting churches is that you don't just end up with joy in your church meetings? The joy of planting churches is that one day in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, Wherever you come from this morning, there will be joy in that city. Why is there joy in that city? The gospels come to town. The sick are being healed. People who are in captivity to all kinds of demonic strongholds are being wonderfully released and are set free. And so it goes on throughout the book of Acts. So what about you and me? What about our churches? What about us when we proclaim the gospel? Do we expect to to see a demonstration of the gospel whenever we share it with people. You see, we proclaim that Jesus is alive. He hasn't changed and he has the power to change and transform people, which we do see all the time through the preaching of the gospel. But here's my question. Where are the signs and wonders? And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I, when I read the book of Acts, I think, why was this written down? If 2,000 years later, it just mocks me (laughs) constantly with all these passages of Scripture and what happens or could happen, but I know that it's like a carrot dangled before me, and every time I reach out for it, it doesn't really happen today because we're in sophisticated Europe. Or or, Or the question is this, if it's not written down there to just mock the rest of Christianity for the rest of time, maybe, just maybe, it's a model for what normal Christianity should really be like. And I don't think, you, I think either you just go through this, thing, why is it written down just to mock us, or is it there as an example, as a model, of the kind of church that Jesus is building and the kind of church that he wants to build here today. I love the book of Acts. I, I confess that I make myself read it three times a year, just go through it. And the reason I do that It's because I want to be absorbed in the atmosphere of the kind of church that I believe Jesus wants to build today. And so it's me that's out of kilter. It's my experience of church that's out of kilter. My experience all my life of being in a westernized uh, secular world that I find I'm provoked when I read the book of Acts. And I'm provoked to the extent of this. If it's not our present experience, it is our future. I don't think there's much hope for the church in Europe unless the church deals with things like this. To think that our techniques and our formulas are kind of win the day 
will modernise ourselves and become more and more contemporary and relevant with our society. And surely they'll all come. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We all want to be relevant. But the issue is this. We need what they had on the day of Pentecost. The church in Europe needs an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church in Scotland needs an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in amazing measures so that we are able to see something dramatic happen in our day and generation. And can I just push this further? Everything you read in these accounts that I've read to you, everything you read in the book of Acts is about very, very ordinary people. They are not perfect and they make mistakes. In fact, to be honest with you, a lot of them lived very mundane lives more mundane than most of us live. The difference is they had such an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit and it was so dramatic that the result of that was that they saw extraordinary things happen which made a massive impact upon their society and multitudes were coming to the Lord and they had massive opposition, which is another sermon, and it says of them that they turned the world upside down. And I look at us, I look at myself, and I look at the proclamation of the gospel that we want to make, but I also find myself saying, Lord, we need to see a breakthrough in demonstration so that the evidence of the fact that Jesus is alive is seen through very ordinary people like you and me with all our mistakes and failings. It's not about how good we are, it's about our faith, that we believe that this Jesus can do things through ordinary people like you and me. So can we just turn back to Acts chapter 5, and um, I'm just going to use this very quickly as a template for pushing this thing of where are the signs and wonders, and in Acts chapter 5, I think we get three indications that, that of things going on in these few verses that will really stretch us, but also encourage us as we go forward. So in verse 12, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, so the first of the three indications is just the statement I want to make. Now, many signs and wonders. Can you say out loud, please, the word many? Many Many signs and wonders were regularly done. Can you say the word regularly? So many signs and wonders were done. Not some, many signs and wonders, and they were done regularly. In verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Can you say the word all? So we have three words in this passage. Many, regularly, And all. Now you can understand why people like me are challenged by this. For if you hang around with me, the experience that you will have is little, seldom, and few. (laughs) I'm just being really honest. It's not the many and the regular and the all. So the indication for me from this passage is this whole thing of moving in signs and wonders is not unusual. It's that many signs and wonders are regularly done. In other words, normal Christianity, and this is one of my burdens for us today as we finish this, this meeting, will be this, that this becomes part of the culture of our churches. It's not that we're going to pray for a few people who are sick at the end of this meeting, which undoubtedly we will do. It's that, that we as churches say, okay, from now on, we're going to make some changes because the expectation is that many signs and wonders, not just one a year, will be regularly done, and that all, we would even get to the place where all people are being healed, 
which really kind of pushes our boundaries. Throughout church history, there have been times of the many and the regularly and the all. And Liz and I were just a few weeks ago in Cyprus where we had a gathering of the whole New Frontiers family and a couple of Chinese pastors and their wives who we've become friends with over the last few years were just with us and they are living in this world. I mean, that's the challenge. This is happening right now in our generation. They're living in this world. 10,000 people coming to Jesus in China every day. Their network of churches, which they're a bit apologetic about, has got 10 million people in it. They said, we're one of the smaller gatherings. One of them said to me, do you know what? The 10,000 is starting to kind of drop off a little bit at the moment. We're a bit concerned. And I wanted to say, you poor things. How tragic for you. I mean, this is just another world. And they are facing huge opposition. And they are seeing miracles. I mean, stories they told (laughs) in the midst of the opposition and everything of the miraculous that's happening amongst them, many regularly and all. The second thing I I get out of this, the second indication is about Peter's shadow. And and, and I I just wanted to make the point. Can you put it up on the screen, please? Because it will help me, the next point. Um, Because, I I mean, this is really weird. I mean, I, I, I just didn't think of what else. I'm trying to find nice... I just thought this is really, you must think that when you read this passage of scripture. I mean, it, it just says here, and, and so they brought all their sick out so that, so that you know, they carried them out, uh, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall. I mean, what is this all about? It's the, it's, it, I think the answer is, it's kind of like, there's such a sense of the presence of God amongst them. If we can just get close to the source, even the guy who's moving in signs and wonders, I mean, his shadow might go. And they're, trying to, they, they're not trying to get near Peter. They're trying to get near the anointing. They're getting near the presence. It's the only way. I mean, this is weird. But it's the only thing I can interpret it to be like this. It's just strange. It's like Luke Davidaitis, you know, he, he's, a, you know he's, he's thin. So if I'm trying to get, he, he hasn't got a shadow. It's not even, <laughs> how, how, you know. Luke's coming, quick, quick, oh, he's gone, right. <laughs> he's thin, there's no shadow. I mean, this is just a weird part of scripture. Have you noticed the little word? It's come a couple of passages that we've looked at, the word awe. And you see this come again and again. It's an interesting word. It's, I think that's what this is about, Peter's shadow. There was such a sense of God's presence. It's not Peter that heals people. It's not his shadow that heals people. It's the tangible presence of God. And there's a desperation to get close to God. These people were not healing people through techniques and formulas. They were healing people through the immediacy of the presence of God. It's the only way we can interpret Acts 3 when, when, when Peter and John say to the man, Rise up and walk? I mean, they, why didn't they do it yesterday? Or the day before, or next week, because now was the moment. They didn't heal through a formula. That God's presence was so strong. They remembered the words of Jesus, I only do the things the Father is doing. And so Jesus had taught to them, there's no formula or technique. I'm hearing from God and I'm doing what he's telling me to do. And you will do the same. There's no techniques, there's no formulas. I think sometimes we get confused. We sometimes hear teaching around the world, you know, the, the way to heal the sick is this, and the way to heal. If you're following the model of Jesus about the way to heal the sick, you're in big problems. I mean, spits. 
I've never come across that ministry. And he makes mud and he sticks it in people. What's he, why is, what, what's that all about? It's that he's hearing from God and this is the moment to do this. Back in the 1980s, I was very affected by some teaching, which was brilliant, by the way, praying for people who are sick. And they said, you always keep your eyes open when you pray for people to see what God is doing. And then I was also influenced equally by another ministry that said, you never keep your eyes open when you pray for people. You close your eyes because you're always looking to God. I mean, this is like the danger of formulas. This is the way there isn't. I've often thought about starting a new ministry, which is one eye open and one eye shut. (laughs) I think it's going to really go places. But the point is, Peter's shadow, this is very weird, but it's... All I can describe it is it's non-formulaic. It's like, maybe that will work. It's just God's presence. And the indication from Acts chapter 5 is, not only should there be many regularly and all as the usual way that God manifests healing and power, but the next indication is this. It's all about the presence of God. Or wonders. God's with us. Here's the third indication quickly that I get from this. And this is helpful for us if we're trying to wonder why don't we see more things happening. It's all out in the open. I, I find this really interesting. It's out there. It's in the streets. People are bringing their friends and neighbors. Talk about carol service. I mean, it's just like everybody is kind of coming. They're, they're getting the word. And you understand that this whole thing of the demonstration of the gospel as well as the proclamation is fundamentally for unbelievers. It's strange sometimes it to be a gospel outreach meeting in a room full of Christians. And I think we've got to come to a stage as, as church communities where, where we understand that signs are signs. I mean, believers, we don't need signs. We already know who Jesus is. But the miraculous will become increased. The signs and wonders will multiply when we're out, and I don't mean literally necessarily on the streets, though that is something that happens and is wonderful, but in concept outside of our meetings, with our friends, with our neighbours. We begin to pray and we begin to ask God to come and a revelation and a demonstration of who Jesus is will come to our friends. Signs and wonders don't make any sense if they're merely confined to Christian meetings. I love this quote that I heard recently. The meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. The meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. In other words, we get in our meetings, of course Christians get healed, God loves us, he's gracious. Of course we should expect signs and wonders amongst us as we gather as the Christian community because God's presence is here. But fundamentally taking that, like in Acts chapter five, out. In fact, almost everything in Acts is always public. It's always out there, which is why I believe they saw so many things happening. So the indication from this is, this is for a watching world. So here's the big question. Out of all of this, I've tried faithfully to share this kind of, the big question is this, do you believe that Jesus is alive? Would you like to put your hands up if you believe that? And that's fantastic that many of you are putting your hands up. Some of you are still on the journey, you're not quite sure. But for those that put our hands up, it's a wonderful, wonderful assurance, isn't it, to know that he is alive. And at the same time, you've just given yourself a massive problem. Because if you really do believe that, then why on earth would you not expect to see the full gospel, to see everything that is demonstrated? 
to see the same things today. And so the question is, why don't we see more things happening? And I haven't got time to answer that fully, but let me just throw out some suggestions as to why. And, and this is me just being really honest. Lack of faith, I think almost definitely. That's one of the reasons in the Western world particularly. You know, it's unbelief. It's just kind of lack of faith. Jesus said often to people, your faith has made you well. So if I'm praying for somebody and I lack faith, don't believe that Jesus can do what he did, then presumably not a lot's going to happen. We live in an environment that potentially robs us of faith. It's an analytical, sceptical world. And that's in the church. Not outside, that's in the church. I watch Christians when it comes to praying for the sick and just troubled, analytical. What if, what if, what if? And how are they, you know, just all these questions come immediately to the minds of people. Here's another thing. Maybe it's just all got too complicated. I think God wants to call us to childlike faith. Do you know, it's a wonderful, I found this recently really quite liberating to know my responsibility is to pray, it's God's responsibility to heal. So childlike faith is you just ask. And you know, when you pray for someone and they don't get healed, then you ask again. Have you noticed that with children? If you promise them something and you come into the corridor at home and the thing I've promised you is yours and you hide it behind your back, how many of them back off you at that moment? They ask and ask and ask and ask. They won't stop asking. Children do that. and We're, child, we're children of God. So we pray and we pray again and we keep the whole thing as simple as possible. I will throw this out. One of the reasons we don't see people healed, I'm, I'm just centering on physical healing because this is what these scriptures are doing for us as part of the demonstration is that we just don't like mystery. I think this is, a, this is quite a big thing for some of us. We just don't like the mysterious thing about healing. We like to understand everything we get involved in. We don't like to get involved in things that we don't understand. And if I'm really, really honest with you, throughout my entire life as a Christian, which is quite a few decades now, this has probably been for me one of the constant mysteries of my life. And I understand less... <laughs> now than I did back there 40, 50 years ago. What, what does that mean? Well, because I find healing strange. Why, why do some people get healed and why do some people not get healed? It's obviously not to do with how good you are. So why? I don't understand and I've come to the conclusion I never will. But that must not stop me praying for people who are sick. Because it's, it's kind of the mystery is I don't understand this. I know that God does understand this. God is sovereign. He knows. He understands. But we must live with the mystery. I actually think mystery is not a bad thing. Because there was no mystery. You and I would think we are like God. So people say, well, I don't understand. Well, good. You're not alone. We don't understand. There's no point pretending as Christians that we do. Please, when it comes to this whole area of physical healing, stop pretending. Don't pretend that you're healed when you're not. And don't pretend that you're doing something <coughs> that's going to happen if in reality it's not happening. I think we need to do away with all that. We want authenticity, the real deal. I think another reason that we sometimes don't see all these things happening is because we get disappointed. We've got disappointments. We, we, we had a guy who we lost in our church for cancer, 37 years old, 
uh, one four-year-old and a three, four-month-year-old. I mean, it was a, and we, for two years, gathered fortnightly to pray for this guy. It's one of the great mysteries. To this day, don't understand why it happened. I tell you, the next person that's got cancer, that's a big deal. Because you're immediately disappointed by what's happened and it can rob you of your faith. And somehow we need in God to come to a place and go, God, I believe. I don't understand all these things, but I believe. And I believe that you can do these wonderful things. And here's another thing, very quickly, last thing I mentioned is lack of desperation. I have to just say this because I just think some of us are just not desperate enough. And so because we're not desperate enough, we give up far, far too quickly. I have the privilege of traveling around the world and go to other cultures and parts of Africa and things. No one gives up there. And they're desperate. And I see more things happening because of our people who are just laying hold of God. You're our only hope. So the big question still looms large. Why don't we see more? Can I just nail this today? If anyone's in any doubt, God heals he did it then he does it now today healing is in the nature of God healing is his name you know God has names Yahweh Rapha is one of his names the God who heals and this is a God who never changes folks if any of you right now are having a problems with some of the things I'm saying because your mind's full of questions I am not your problem Your problem is believing in a God who says, I am the God who heals you. I'm just trying to present this as a challenge to us. Not only that, he's the God who promises to heal. And he's a faithful God. And he will do that which he promises. And there are some of us in this room today who have got sicknesses and as yet we have not been healed. You need to be reminded, God is a God who heals. He's a God who works miracles. And sometimes it happens in a moment and sometimes it can happen gradually. But you must have a theology which embraces this wonderful God who heals, even with all the mystery and the things that we don't understand. The example of Jesus on every page. He is the reflection of God, the image of God manifest amongst us. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And what does he do? He heals people. It's a reflection of this God, this healing, wonderful God, because Jesus is God. His compassion overflows into healing. The work of the cross, the blood that was shed, the forgiveness of sins includes within it, I really believe, this thing of healing. The resurrection from the dead means the last enemy death has been conquered. It means there's nothing too powerful. Jesus can heal every disease, whatever it is, whatever stage it's at, because this is our loving God who loves to heal, who has authority over all things. The final thing I want to say, therefore, today is as a local church, We need to become a culture of healing, a community of healing, where we pray regularly for the sick. If it moves, lay hands on it. Regularly. Expectation that God will do, whether it's in West Lothian or whether it's here in Edinburgh or Glasgow or wherever you're from, this God, expectant that this God will heal. We need to be a culture. We need to be a community of healing. There's a few aspects to this. We celebrate, firstly, all forms of healing that come from God. Some Christians think medical advance and praying for the sick are alternatives. They're not. They're exactly the same thing. This God who heals has given 
mankind the ability to have things that will help in the process of healing. I realize I, I'm on safe ground because I'm speaking to a whole load of medics in here today. I have medics all over my family, left, right and center, believe you me. And we often have conversations. I love medics who totally believe that through the skills that God's giving them, they're helping to heal people because God is the God of heals. We applaud everything that people in the medical health profession do to enable that to happen because that's all part I don't see that as contrary to this what I'm saying this morning and I love some of my radical medics who on the one hand are doing everything they can on the other hand are praying for people on the Sunday morning that they might be healed because they know that all of this healing is from God I'm you know I we live in an age some of us wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for medical advance I, I was rushing to hospital and, uh, when I was 22, 23 with appendicitis and I was just a few moments away from you know, it being very, very nasty. So I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the advance of medical science. And the nurse who pulled my stitches out, it happens to be my wife. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, she was the nurse, she pulled the stitches out. I thought, I really like you. I, sub- I submit to your knife <laughs> and, uh, and the rest is history. Our son Daniel, when he was 11... Uh, they discovered a real problem with his heart, so he had to go into Great Ormond Street, have, have uh, open heart surgery, it was quite serious. I have been a witness to the amazing things that God can do through humankind, and we do applaud every advance in that area. And as a Christian community, we need to combine ourselves with that. Like I said, look, the second thing is this, it, to do, we're a community that needs to promote health, and by that I mean, Daniel, I'm just going over a little bit. Is that okay? He doesn't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I appreciate the children's workers, so I must rush on. But, um, you know, the gospel is for the whole person, which means that the Christian community has a wonderful opportunity in the name of Jesus to proclaim health. You know, there's a lot of people emotionally sick, the gospel, we as a community can heal people like that, transform. Our church back in London, I'm sure it's true of your church, is full of people very messed up by life, society and background and upbringing and all sorts. And to watch them gradually get completely healed so they're almost unrecognizable. Mental health is just everywhere you go at the moment. Everybody's talking about it. The stats are remarkable, particularly in the university level right now. And all the extreme things that are coming out of it as a result. This is amazing because it's an opportunity for the Christian community to gather around people, to counsel, to do courses of setting people free and lots of God-given wisdom that can be helped to people. And the other thing that's challenging, isn't it, is that the Christian community should exude healthy lifestyles. Many people are sick today for no other reason than they have abused their bodies and have allowed themselves to get to a position where it's no one else's fault but their own. And surely as a Christian community, we should look after our bodies and do all that we can. It's part of our demonstration to the world that we have a reason to live. When I hear of people doing all kinds of things to their bodies because of things that have happened, it's a tragedy. And the final thing is this. So we're we're a community of, uh, of health. We, we absolutely partner with medical advance. At the same time, we, 
We have, we have a gospel that heals the whole person, not just the physical, but the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, everything. But then we are still left with the many, many sick people for whom Jesus is the only answer. And that we find ourselves in a position where we can see miracles that begin to happen. A constant expectation of miraculous breakthrough like the book of Acts. Undisputed, medically confirmed healings. My friend Adrian Holloway, that some of you might know, who's seen many, many people heal. The thing I love about him is what I call the Adrian Files. And these, he accumulates all these medical documents from people who have been healed and documents them. I think it's great. Why not? It's you're either healed or you're not. And it's just wonderful to have that kind of thing that happens. And so from the smallest, and I want to just, as we come to close, the smallest thing, some of us think, well, God's not bothered about that because it's so small. That's why you've not been healed. Because you just think God's not bothered with it. So from the smallest to the largest, you have to embrace the fact that God, I don't understand why he heals the seemingly small things and doesn't heal the very, very big, serious things. But this expectation of the miraculous amongst us as a community, God's presence, just like in the book of Acts, constantly there. Would you put your hand up if any time in your life you know that you've been healed physically? Just put your hand up where you are at any time when someone's in. I'm always amazed how many hands go up when I ask that question. So many of us are testifying to the fact that there have been moments when the only explanation <clears throat> as to what's happened is that God has stepped in and has healed us in that particular way. I want to finish with a story, which is of just a few years ago. This is not back 2,000 years ago. An English pastor took a team with him to Kenya, and they were showing the Jesus film. And this is just a few years ago. And while they were showing the Jesus film, this is, the Jesus film, by the way, for those who don't know, is a film that's gone all over the world, and it just it goes into villages and places all around, and many, many people come to Christ through just watching the film. And uh, he's in the film, and while they're watching the film, one of them feels that God says, you shouldn't just be watching Jesus on the film healing people, but he wants to heal people right now. So they make an appeal before the film's finished, and the film goes on. If there's anybody who wants to be healed, please come with us now. This is his account. 50 people squashed into a mud hut, which was literally only lit by a flickering oil lamp. And they milled around, and it would not get in an orderly line. Only an English person would say that. <laughs> I felt excited and a little apprehensive. One particular woman kept jostling other people and bumping into them. I sensed myself becoming irritated with her and hoped that I would not have to pray for her. A young man with a paralyzed arm was the first person to be prayed for and he was instantly healed. And with that, everyone in the room went quiet and still. And the disorderly woman was pushed forward for prayer and I suddenly realized why she had been bumping into people. She was completely blind. I found out later that she'd walked 10 miles to the meeting and now she just stood there grinning at me knowing that she was going to be healed. My team were also grinning at me, but that was more through nervousness <laughs> than confidence. I laid my hands on her eyes and prayed every type of healing prayer I knew. When I took my hands away, I asked her whether she could see, and she blinked and gasped. I can see. And the interpreter asked her 
What could she see? And she peered at me in the dim light. And she screamed out in Kikuyu, I can see a white man. And there was almost a spiritual riot in the hut. And of the 56 people, all bar one deaf boy, were completely healed in the next 30 minutes.